Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for another edition of the podcast for the diehard sports fan, The Boss Beat. Here's your host, Stephen Boss Basio. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, your ears do not deceive you. This is real. After a long five-month hibernation, The Boss Beat is back. Come on, somebody. And what a time to get this podcast back up and running because this is the week when we crown a champion in the NFL. It is the biggest week in sports. We are just two days away from Super Bowl 56 in Los Angeles. And do we have a matchup for you? The NFC champion LA Rams, the second team to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. And the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. When did you ever think you would hear that? come out of my mouth. Yes, it is true. The Bengals are in the Super Bowl, and we will get to that in just a moment. But first, I just want to say I've missed all of you. I mean, really, I have been waiting for this return for a very long time. And people have been asking me, when are you going to get your podcast back? When are you going to do your podcast? I was thinking to myself, at the opportune time, I will get it started back up again. I mean, something happened back in August that prohibited me from doing more podcasts. I don't know why. The only plausible explanation that I can give you is just one word. Life, right? It's so true. Life gets in the way, and you're not able to do everything that you want to do. It, unfortunately, is a sad reality. But all that aside, the boss beat is back, and let me just say the obvious, okay? There has been a whole lot that has happened in the five months since we last did an episode. And if I were to run down everything that happened in detail, it would probably take four or five episodes of me just blabbing on. And we don't want that. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to give you highlights of big sports moments that happened while we were away. Before going into the meat and potatoes of this episode, Super Bowl 56, the preview, with a very special guest. Now, some podcasts, when they come back from a long hiatus, they ease back into the process and they let their listeners know about everything that happened. That's not this podcast. The bear has awoken. Come on, somebody. This means that we are going to come out of the gate strong and it's Super Bowl week. Okay, the biggest week in sports. So, you know, we're coming out of the gate with a very special guest, the voice of the New England Patriots on 98.5 The Sports Hub, Bob Sosi will join us. That's right, to talk about his career, and we're going to preview the big game coming up this Sunday between the Bengals and the Rams, so stay tuned for that. Now, if you remember, I did an NFL schedule release episode talking about some of the biggest moments and games that I was looking forward to this past season. And the biggest date that I had circled was October 3rd, week 4, Sunday night game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champions, against the New England Patriots. That meant that Tom Brady would come to Gillette Stadium for the first time as a visitor. And I said during that episode that I hoped that Mac Jones, the first-round draft pick for the Patriots from Alabama, would be the starting quarterback when the Bucks played the Pats. Well, a couple of days after we did our last episode in August, Mac Jones was officially named the starting quarterback for the Patriots, meaning that Cam Newton had been released. And 
you could say that was a little bit of prognostication right there. And as expected, the game was unbelievable back and forth. Both teams laid it all out there. But the Bucks prevailed by two thanks to a double-doink field goal attempt by Nick Falk. Now, if you remember a couple playoffs ago, the Bears lost a playoff game by a ball that hit the crossbar and it bounced out. Well, the same scenario happened with the Pats and that gave Tom Brady special admission to yet another exclusive club. Alongside with Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Brett Favre, he is the fourth quarterback to beat all 32 teams. And that night, he also became the all-time career passing yards leader in NFL history. And it's very fitting that he did it at Gillette Stadium, the house that Brady built. So moving on from there, we had a World Series champion crowned in November. Congratulations to Freddie Freeman and the Atlanta Braves, who took home the World Series for the first time since 1995 by winning in six games over the Houston Astros. And let me just say, I think it's so cool that the Braves won the World Series in the same year that baseball honored one of the greatest Braves to ever play the game, Hank Aaron, better known as Hammer and Hank. And I heard this somewhere that the Braves won 44 games before the All-Star break, and they won 44 games after the All-Star break, and Hank Aaron's number was 44. So, I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. And I'm going to do one more story that really shook up the sports world, and it happened just a few weeks ago. I never thought I would ever say this, but here it goes. After 22 seasons in the NFL, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, announced he's going to hang it up. He is retiring from the game with seven Super Bowl titles, the most passing yards, the most touchdown passes, and what more can you say about the greatest quarterback of all time? My first episode of The Boss Beat almost a year ago was on Tom Brady, and we're going to have another one coming up really soon with another special guest. So... Keep your ears open for that down the road. Now, normally, a player would have to wait five years after his retirement from the game to be eligible for induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So Tom Brady would be eligible in 2027. Now, if I was the commissioner of the NFL, I would say, no, 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 no. Absolutely no way we're waiting five years to get this man into the Hall of Fame. All of his accomplishments, everything he's done for the game, We are going to enshrine him as a member of the class of 2022. No delay. Tom Brady needs to head to Canton, Ohio five months after his retirement, not five years. And we're also going to talk about this with Bob, but another thing that I want to have happen is for Tom Brady to, in fact, sign a one-day contract with the Patriots and retire a Patriot. Now you're saying, boss, why are you saying that? He snubbed the Patriots in his retirement announcement. All right, let me back up just in case you don't know what I'm talking about. So in Tom Brady's retirement announcement on Instagram, he thanked the Bucs. He thanked the owners of the Bucs, the Glazer family. He thanked the coach of the Buccaneers, Bruce Arians. He thanked the fans of Tampa Bay, also known as the crew. He thanked the coaches. He thanked his assistant. He thanked everyone in his family. No mention at all of the Patriots. And my response to that is, just wait. There is something big coming down the pipe. The Patriots, when they heard of Tom Brady's retirement, 
posted a logo with a silhouette of Tom Brady and the number 12 underneath. So that only goes to mean there is something coming down the pipe. And we're going to talk about that with our special guest. And speaking of our special guest, we're going to bring him on right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our very first guest on this new season of the Boss Beat, the lead play-by-play voice of the New England Patriots on 98.5 The Sports Hub for the past eight seasons, Mr. Bob Sosi. Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, joins us right now on this new season of the Boss Beat. Bob, so good to have you here. It's so good to be with you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. And I'm honored to be the first guest of the new year. Well, I'm honored just to sit here and talk to the voice of reason in New England. We're broadcasting from the New England area. So Bob Sosi is the voice of the local team. So before we get into you know what everybody wants to hear, the Patriots and not only the Patriots, but us talking about the big game, Super Bowl 56. And boy, what a game we have on tap this Sunday. Uh, we got to go all the way back to the very beginning. How did you get your start in broadcasting? When did you acquire your love for this industry? You know, the very beginning is a very long time ago, and I'll try to give you as short a story as I can. But it started when I was a young boy in Auburn, New York, which is right in the middle of New York State, the Finger Lakes region. And from the time that I can first recall, three, four, five years old, I was a huge sports fan, particularly at that age, a baseball fan. Uh, We uh, had uh, cable television with a lot of different Major League Baseball teams available to watch on a nightly basis. My mom, who was a baseball fan as well, often sat with me at that young of an age. And, uh, you know, from the time that uh, I was a little league baseball player, uh, having already developed the love of sports uh, from the time I was eight, nine, 10 years old, then I started thinking about being a broadcaster. And when I was in little league baseball in Auburn, New York, we had a beautiful complex for the games that included a press box and stadium lights. So that allowed the little league to have double headers. And I started playing in one game and word got around that uh, not only did Bob play, but you know, Bob wants to be a broadcaster someday. Bob is the kid who's talking to uh, talking play by play as he's playing football with his buddies in the backyard and uh, you know, during little league practices and whatever. I don't know how the, the people that ran the league, the commissioner of the league and the members of the board of directors caught wind of it. But they, they, they learned that I wanted to be a broadcaster. And so I wound up playing in one game and then I would announce the public address uh, for the next game. So uh, if I had a six o'clock game, I played in that. And then at 730, I sat next to the official scorekeeper who let me announce batters names. Uh, if I had a 7.30 game, I was lucky enough to get in the, the, the seat in the press box and get into my seat and uh, get behind the mic uh, for that six o'clock game. And so that, you know, that really sparked a dream for me that ignited uh, the dream. And, and then thereafter, it was just a matter of, you know, one step and the next and then the next and then the next trying to pursue that dream. College, I worked in, in various capacities in uh, student radio, behind the scenes in sports information, which is kind of an athletic media relations wing of the athletic department at the University of Dayton. Graduated with uh, an internship with the Cincinnati Reds baseball team. I had a chance to assist a lot of the media uh, for two years while at the University of Dayton and really learned a lot from that experience. And during those years, 
would spend a couple of innings per game practicing my play-by-play into a tape recorder. This is all pre-internet. I, you know, I, I practiced my play-by-play over and over and over again, night after night after night. And while I wasn't working for a station and I was only broadcasting to an audience of one, I got better and better. And eventually, you know, I had a tape that I could use to get my first broadcasting job out of college. And, and that came along with a lot of responsibilities in public relations and, and a lot of other hats in minor league baseball in Rochester, New York. And essentially, I got a chance to call three innings of every home game. My partner was the full-time broadcaster for the team, Josh Lewin, who has gone on to great things in his own broadcasting career. And in fact, a couple of years ago, was one of uh, several announcers to fill in for the Red Sox. Uh, But Josh was the main announcer. I got a chance to sit in with him for a few innings in Rochester in 1991 and 92, and then started my full-time broadcasting career in 1993 out in Peoria, Illinois. And that began an odyssey of different uh, stints with minor league baseball teams around the country, as well as college athletics. I got a chance to work in Maryland, got my foot in the door of the U.S. Naval Academy, called Navy Games for 16 years. I met my wife, who was from the Boston area. We eventually moved to Boston. I was still broadcasting for the Naval Academy while knocking on doors here locally. And one thing led to another. I had a chance to introduce myself to the people from the 98.5 The Sports Hub, and then when Gil Santos retired in 2012, they reached out mm-hmm. to me and asked to hear more of my work. So that is a very long story and a very confusing way being told, at least as I try to abridge how I got from point A to, to where I am today. Where you are right now. I mean, wow. Baseball era really sparked the era of greatness, talking to the uh, voice of the Patriots. Um, is there a moment in baseball, in minor league baseball, your tenure there, that really stands out? in your mind as one that everyone should know about? Well, my first call, play-by-play call ever was in Rochester's opening day of 1991. And Mike Messina was pitching for the Rochester Red Wings. And Mo Vaughn was leading off the top of the third inning for Pawtucket. Now, back then, I thought, you know, he was known as Maurice Vaughn. To me, I didn't, you know, again, this is pre-internet. So the only information we really had on the opposing team was maybe their media guide and Baseball in America, back issues of Baseball in America. So when Vaughn came up to lead off the top of the third, Josh Lewin turned to me and said, okay, you know, this is, it's, it's all yours. And then we went on the air coming out of commercial break. He introduced me and I don't know what, what, what pitch it was, but it was pretty early in the at bat, I think. And, and Mo Vaughn hit a home run. And my home run call was a copy of Ralph Kiner's home run call from Mets broadcasts, which I watched religiously as a kid. Going, going, gone, goodbye. Home run for Maurice Fawn. Uh, but, you know, there's so many moments. The great thing about minor league baseball is that you broadcast in, in many different conditions. You broadcast before very small crowds and very cold nights in April, before very small crowds and very hot nights in August. You occasionally broadcast before very big crowds when you move up the ladder. And then when you get to AAA, and my last few years at AAA, most of the teams have beautiful stadiums and drew exceptionally well. And that experience, you're talking about a lot of guys who've been back and forth between the major leagues. But there really isn't any one specific moment in time outside of that first call that I can point to today, except to say that all of them made the person that I am, made the broadcaster I've become, uh, you know, when, when I look back and, and think of the sum of all those experiences. Not many people can say that their first professional call on the airwaves was a home run by a future Red Sox Hall of Famer, 
It's unbelievable, really. And then you move. Well, for a long time, I thought that was going to be the highlight of my career. Excuse me for interrupting. You know, it took me a long time. <laughs> no, no, no that's thing. okay. That's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I interrupt all the time. So, and then again, you move from baseball, as you said, to Navy football, basketball, Patriot League uh, basketball games. So maybe there's a little connection there. Patriot League in the future, you announcing for the New England Patriots. Any moment from midshipman times? Oh, all of it. You know, that that was a very special experience. And I think, honestly, there's more of a connection to the Patriots than many from my Navy days, because, of course, Bill Belichick grew up at the Naval Academy. His father, a longtime coach, retired at the Naval Academy after 33 years as a coach, scout, and a phys ed teacher. And I got a chance to meet and occasionally talk to Steve Belichick during my time there. Uh, and, you know, I worked at the Naval Academy from 1996, 97. I started as a fill-in substitute basketball broadcaster. And my first game on the Navy football broadcasts was in November of 1997. The person I replaced was just hired by the Washington Wizards to do TV at the time. And Navy played at Notre Dame and had not beaten Notre Dame since 1963. And that particular game, my first broadcast for Navy, came down to the very last play in front of Touchdown Jesus at Notre Dame Stadium that was tipped and caught by the Navy receiver who was pushed out of bounds just outside the one-yard line. He was about a step and a half from scoring a touchdown to end this decades-long losing streak. And the final play of the game was pushed out of bounds. But thankfully, the midshipman, a decade later, in 2007, ended what was then a 43-game losing streak to Notre Dame in triple overtime. And that would be my favorite moment, calling Navy football, but all of them, particularly the Army-Navy game. One of the best traditions in college football. And mm-hmm. and a triple overtime in college football, that's nothing compared to the excitement in the NFL. You go from there, you get the main play-by-play job for the Patriots, replacing the legend that is Gil Santos. The original voice of the Patriots, we cannot go farther in this conversation without thinking about him and all the great calls that he did, especially the one that he made 20 years ago. It just happened. 20 years have passed since Super Bowl 36, and uh, Adam Vinatieri's game-winning field goal. That ball just continues to give me chills, and you have done an unbelievable job filling in for him and you yourself have made chilling calls uh, that have sent shivers down Patriot fans' spines. Is there any one call in particular that really stands out to you and just lives in your memory forever? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. Um, people ask me that question a lot. And I often say the James White touchdown in Super Bowl 51 is among is probably at the top of the list. But there are there are there are several that I really look back on fondly. And there are several that other people do that I may not, you know, I, I, I've called, I've been so fortunate to call so many great plays and great moments, not just in the Super Bowl, but many other games. The other night I was watching a replay of the 2018 AFC championship. Played oh, yeah, in January of 2019, the Patriots at Kansas city. And I think the call in overtime with Rex Burkett's touchdown, uh, just to think of the words for the win, uh, you know, spontaneously, as he took the handoff, it was kind of the kind of the, the 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 verbiage you might use in basketball in a tie game where a guy take or you know two point game when somebody takes a three pointer you say for the win, and you know that's a call that certainly stands out only because it capped I think my favorite game to call period uh, as a Patriots broadcaster. But there's so many. I mean, trying to rank them, 
uh, like I say, is, you know, it's, it's something I've been asked to do a lot. And, and I usually put the white call at the top. But yeah. honestly, there have been so many great moments from regular season games early in the year uh, to late season games. And then, like I say, there are a lot of calls. That, and with every call, by the way, even my favorites, I would go back today and do them just a little bit differently. Yeah. And uh, I remember one that really stood out to me was the the Malcolm Butler interception at the goal line, Super Bowl 49. And then again, you have the greatest colored commentator in NFL radio, in my opinion, the one and only Scott David Solak. And just having him right next to you in the booth, what's that like? Having, you know, a former Patriot quarterback. <laughs> I only want to know, and I think a lot of other people want to know, especially those in the New England area, what's it like working with so and to have Josie playing in his honor? Well, it's funny because I just wrote a piece on Tom Brady's retirement and oh, was, what yeah. the experience was like for me being a broadcaster for the Patriots. And I said, the three questions I get more than any other, number one is what's it like to work with Zoe? Uh, number two is, you know, how does Belichick treat you? And number three is, do you know Tom Brady? So, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you were right on par with everybody else. My, my standard answer is it's exactly like you'd imagine it. I mean, there's a reason you ask, what's it like to work with Zoe? Because you hear him on his radio show, you hear him on the broadcast. And I'm a huge fan. You know, honestly, he's the same guy in our broadcast booth that you're listening to every day. That's awesome. You know, the chemistry that you guys have is just absolutely unbelievable. And you brought up Tom Brady's retirement. And mm -hmm. I really want to talk about that since you did do a piece on him. I said in the intro that I really want to see Tom Brady sign a one day contract to retire a Patriot. And I said, you know, there's questions surrounding Brady snubbing the Patriots. And I said, watch out. Something big is going to come down the pipe because they have a silhouette logo, Tom Brady, with the number 12 underneath. So I said that. I want to get your take on this whole retirement situation. Will he come back to the Patriots? Uh, will he stay uh, a buck for retirement? I'm not sure he's going to retire now based on what he said uh, Monday night on his podcast with Jim Gray on Sirius XM radio, because he, he did say, never say never. So yep, never say he never. never used the word retirement uh, as uh, some, some reporters have pointed out, especially, you know, you can't say retired in one entity known as WWE world wrestling entertainment, because you say you're retired and you get into the hall of fame, but then medical doctors clear you to return to airing competition and you get back in there. So is Tom going to, is Tom going to head to the WWE? Maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, I don't that's know. It. I don't... Maybe, you know, maybe, if, you know, if he still has that, and I'm sure he still has that competitive fire. Uh, yeah. He's still playing at an elite level. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if he's going to come back as a, as a Patriot and retire as a Patriot. I'm not sure that, you know, that's necessarily anything we'll see period, let alone sometime soon. I'm not privy to any inside information by any stretch uh, with regards to what the Patriots expect and, and what Tom is thinking. That's largely, obviously, ceremonial. I mean, to me, Tom Brady had a great career, unparalleled in NFL history. No questions. The way I look at it, I understand why people have hard feelings uh, about his statement on uh, Tuesday, I guess it was, or was it Monday of last week? I, I don't know. It all runs together because there was the reports of his retirement, then there were the denials and uh, assertions of unretirement, and then there was the statement of retirement, and then there were various other follow-up posts 
uh, to try to smooth things over because of those hard feelings. I understand why people were very upset. I think Tom was very effusive in, in his gratitude uh, to the Patriots and, and fans when he did leave via free agency a couple of years earlier. And based on the number of things he has said in his man in the arena uh, docuseries as well, I think he is, he, he's tried to cast the entire experience in New England in a very positive way, maybe a little revisionism with some of the, uh, the particulars, uh, particularly in the, in the latter couple of episodes. Uh, so personally, I said goodbye to him when he left and said goodbye to us and signed with Tampa Bay. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I think that, you know, he had his reasons for leaving, uh, but it was time, you know, it was time for him to move on. And, and in my own role, I felt like I could do that and had to do that in order to, to really be, uh, true to be, put my full effort in and kind of be true to my responsibilities in 2020 as, as difficult as that season was and as much as the Patriots struggled. I wanted to see Cam Newton as the Patriots quarterback in 2020 succeed and have a wonderful year. And yeah. I wanted to see Matt Jones do the same. And now Matt Jones is the quarterback uh, after Chronicle on a regular basis. I pull for Tom Brady. I really appreciate everything that he did in his time here. I, like I say, I can understand why everybody else uh, may have different feelings, different emotions based on, you know, the, the retirement, the way it was handled, the way it was executed. I think he probably would go back and, and do it a little differently, a lot differently uh, if he could. Um, certainly, it seemed like things kind of spun out of control there, uh, the way they reported over the weekend. And, and that's not who he's been during the course of his time that we've gotten to know him as a public figure. He's usually done things in, in a very above board manner in a sense, you know, making sure that you know, he crosses all his T's and dots, all of his I's. But uh, he, you know, he, he could come back out of retirement, quote unquote. Yeah. He stepped aside, as he said, and I, I never say never. And, and maybe it's someday as a Patriot, uh, but perhaps it's with another team. We'll see. Maybe it's with the Raiders and Josh McDaniels. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, I mean, some people have mentioned already San Francisco's possibility down the road of Trey Lance doesn't work out, but I hope that he doesn't come back. I hope that this is retirement now that he's made that initial decision to do that. Um, I still, I think he could still play at an extremely high level. There's no doubt about that. I mean, could I, to me, he should be the MVP this year. Now we got to get to the bread and butter of this week, you know, this week being Super Bowl week and, what a matchup we got. You know, you got to start with the Rams. I mean, they're the second team playing a Super Bowl in their home stadium. Of course, Tampa Bay won it last year. Uh, and then you have Cincinnati Bengals. You just let that sink in for a moment. The Cincinnati Bengals are in the Super Bowl. What a reward for having the worst record back in 2019. For the first time in my life, Bob, I, I don't have a team. Like, I would be happy seeing either team win. So... I mean, we're going to talk first about the Rams and then we're going to talk about the Bengals and then you and I are going to make our official prediction. Starting off with the Rams, they were number four in the NFC. And for me, Matthew Stafford has to win the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford has to get his first ring after everything that he's been through in Detroit and you know all the backup that he has with Cooper Cup and Cam Akers, Aaron Donald, best defensive player in the NFL. What are you seeing with uh, the Rams and the keys to them winning uh, the Super Bowl at SoFi? Well, I think the game has more to do with Aaron Donald and the Rams' defensive line if the Rams are going to win it and getting to Joe Burrow. You know, we saw Burrow sacked nine times by Tennessee 
But then Kansas City really didn't get to him. Now, a couple of times they were able to get pressure, and Burrow really made some marvelous plays by escaping. Uh, but I think when you look at the matchup of these two teams, the, the greatest advantage of all is the Rams' defensive front, it's particularly the way they're playing. Von Miller's playing oh, yeah. in, in these playoffs. I think the thing about Stafford is Stafford has been prone to make some, some critical mistakes, and he's got to stay away from that. But I think it comes down to can Cincinnati block that defensive front from L.A. and give Joe Burrow the opportunity uh, to keep his team in the game and win the game in the end. Yeah, just like the end of the Tampa Bay game. I mean, if Matthew Stafford gets to that point, there is no turning back, and the Rams will become the second team to win a Super Bowl in their home stadium. And just like you said, Von Miller, a name that I didn't mention in the intro, he's getting back to his days when he won the MVP in Super Bowl 50, you know, with the Broncos. I wouldn't be upset if I saw a Rams Super Bowl win in L.A., but then again, we go to the other side and you got the Bengals. Okay. They were two and 14 back in 2019. I mean, who would have ever thought that they would make the Super Bowl this year? And as I said, a reward for having the worst record in 2019 was the first overall pick in the draft. And that being Joe Burrow, the man for the Bengals. And, you know, they have Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon making the big plays on offense, defense, big game against the Chiefs. And the big interception in overtime was really the propeller for the upset win over the powerhouse in the AFC. Um, so what is Sosie's keys for the Bengals to bring home their first Super Bowl title in three trips? Well, I think that the Bengals are playing a kind of a special sense of confidence, and, and a lot of it is infused by Burrow, that you find in teams. Now, some people have even said the 2001 Patriots, and I think there is that bit of a vibe to that. Yeah, there is a similarity. Yep. All the clutch kicks. You have guys that really had new leases on their careers going to Cincinnati and making plays on defense. And I think about you know turnovers in this game for the Bengals. They were able to get to Patrick Mahomes in the second half of that game. And he threw some, some passes that should have been intercepted and ultimately threw one that was intercepted to set yeah. up the game-winning kick in overtime. I think for Cincinnati in this game, you know, you look at T. Higgins. You mentioned Jamar Chase. Higgins had a terrific game versus Kansas City. I, I thought he made a lot of catches for them uh, in key spots where he had guys all over his back. I don't know that uh, Cincinnati is going to be able to run the ball on L.A. with Joe Mixon, but I think for the Bengals, you know, a big part of it for them is to involve him in, in, in the passing game at least, if not uh, you know, have a, of a huge day running. But I think it comes down to the Cincinnati secondary as a byproduct of, of Cincinnati doing some things to get pressure on Stafford, making some plays in that game. Uh, certainly they can't allow Cooper Cup to run free and oh, yeah. kill them the way he did against Tampa Bay with that game on the line. And too often last week versus San Francisco with that game, of course, in crunch time. Yeah. And you said to Higgins, he had six catches for 103 yards uh, in that upset win over Kansas City before this season. Bengals hadn't won a playoff game since 1991. And they're riding this wave of momentum that really does echo the 2001 Patriots. And I would like to refer to them now as Cinderella Cincy. And if they win the Super Bowl, if I were to call the game, I would say the glass slipper fits because what a, what a way for the fairy tale to end. So 
it is now time for our official Super Bowl 56 prediction. Who is going home as the champions of the NFL? Bob, we're going to start with you. Who are you going on this one, L.A. or Cincy? Well, I'm, I'm going to go with my heart. I'm going to go Cincinnati. I'm going to pull from my buddy who's their broadcaster, although I, I really like J.B. Long as the outstanding broadcaster for the Rams. This is, this is strictly on longevity. We started with my minor league baseball career, and Dan Horde and I were broadcasting in the International League at the same time. When Mo Vaughn hit that home run off Mike Messina, Dan was then the voice of the Syracuse team in the International League. Uh, and so I've known him for a long, long time, and uh, he's one of the great people in our business. And so I'm going to go with Cincinnati, but uh, I'm like you, honestly, uh, Stephen. I don't really have a, a true, let's say, unfavorite in this game. Usually, there's a team that I I kind of like and a team that I really don't like. Yeah. Um, so, so this year I'm going to be pulling for Cincinnati because of my longtime friendship with Dan. But if the Rams win it, I'll be happy for JB, and I'll, and I'll be happy for uh, you know for Matthew Stafford as well. It seems like uh, he's really made a positive impression in a lot of ways on his new teammates and certainly left one with his former teammates, guys who played with him in Detroit. Yeah, going back to your days as the Cincinnati Reds announcer, right? There you go. Absolutely. You got it. I went to school in Southwest Ohio, just up the road, and spent a lot of time in Cincinnati. So so how do you envision this game ending? Do you see it ending on an Adam Vinatieri-like game-winning field goal to bring home a first Super Bowl title for the Bengals? I think Cincinnati wins this game ends, you know, either with a field goal made or a late minute, last second kind of situation where the game hangs in the balance. I think if the game gets out of hand, or at least if the game ends in it with a a kneel down, I think that's more likely a Rams win. Uh, But I, you know, again, I I don't make predictions for reasons, Stephen, generally. Well, you don't make predictions because you're knowledgeable about football and you are (laughs) so caught up in this game that there is really no favorites. Do you have a final score in that before I get to my... I don't have a final score. So you're asking me to do too much. Yeah, okay. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that in jest, honestly. So just like you, for me, sorry, LA. I don't see a second straight Super Bowl being won in the home stadium. I have to go Cincinnati just because of Joe Burrow and the story. The Bengals, as I said, hadn't won a playoff game since 1991. The most unlikely run of all time. And Evan McPherson, we got to mention him, the kicker for the Bengals, made two straight game winning field goals against Tennessee and over Kansas City. And Joe Burrow becoming the second quarterback to beat Mahomes in the playoffs after the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, did it over the Chiefs. In overtime. So I am going to have to go with the Houda Nation. I'm going Cincinnati. And just like you, I do not have a final score. I don't care if it ends on a kneel awesome. down. I would just like it to end on the last play of the game, just like all the divisional round games and the AFC championship game ended on the, the last play. And the NFC championship too. Even though it ended on a kneel down, the interception by the Rams sealed it. So, yeah, I think it's safe to say that 100% of the predictions made right here on the boss beat are in favor of the Cincinnati Bengals. And we're going to say who they, who they, who they say going to beat them Bengals. Um, I love so it. Stephen. I love it. There you have it. Bob Sosi, the voice of the New England Patriots, the first guest here on the new season of the boss beat. And we're honored that you got a chance to be on here and maybe 
We'll get to hear you in Glendale next year for Super Bowl 57. How's that sound? That sounds great, Stephen. It's been great to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. It's been good to chat with you on this podcast, but as well at the stadium when I've seen you there. So I really appreciate you having me and uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about my career and talking about uh, the Patriots as well as this upcoming game. Bob Sosi, voice of the New England Patriots. Thank you so much. And that will put an end to the first episode on this revived podcast, The Boss Beat. Make sure to tune in next week for the review of Super Bowl 56. Hopefully our predictions come right. Hopefully the glass slipper fits in the Cincinnati Bengals pull out a win over the LA Rams. But if LA wins, I would be happy and we're going to review it either way. In the meantime and in between time, this is Stephen Bossio, better known as Boss, reminding each of you to be a good sport and we'll catch you next time right here on The Boss Beat. Peace. Peace.